0: Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host Sam Vicini. We're presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, we've got a good friend of the program and a special guest. It's Drake UU. He is a former scout, executive, kind of did a lot of different things with the Sacramento Kings and the Stockton Kings uh, over the course of what, five years, Drake? Something like that? Yeah,
1: five and a half years, Yep.
0: Yeah, so Drake is here. We're going to talk NBA playoffs. We're going to talk uh, a little bit of everything that's happening across the league. Uh, but first, Drake, how you doing, man?
1: I'm great, man. I'm excited to catch up. Uh, we have a lot of these conversations. Uh, we've had a lot of these conversations over the uh, the years, and so it's cool to hit record and catch up uh, and do a podcast. So thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, of course, man. So for people who don't know kind of who you are and like how you ended up with the sacramento kings and everything just give like kind of a give a quick overview for the people on like kind of where where you come from how you're kind of sacramento born and bred and then uh you end up working for the hometown team for a while uh after kind of a a a storied professional career as an nbl champion
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh thank you for making me sound a lot cooler than i actually am but um (laughs) Yeah, I'm born and raised in Sacramento. Um, grew up a huge Kings fan uh, in the heydays with Peja, Vladi, Chris Webber, Mike Bibby. Um,
0: well, it's great because you get to, you got to work with those guys for a mm-hmm. while, too.
1: Totally. That, that, that interview experience was surreal in itself. I was like <laughs> freaking out, uh, you know, a couple childhood uh, celebrities in my mind. Uh, <laughs> so it was, it was pretty wild. But uh, yeah, grew up in Sacramento. Uh, huge Kings fan um they kind of that's that team those teams are you know from 2000 to 2005 or like the I feel like they're what really shaped my love for the game um but yeah I ended up playing in high school played in college uh, I ended up graduating from Cal Poly San Luis Obispo um and then from there I uh, wanted to keep playing and uh landed in Perth Australia so uh pretty cool experience pretty cool i'm understating it australia was amazing uh (laughs) living in living in the beach english-speaking country uh it's summertime during the basketball season there uh the perth wildcats organization is first class and um ironically ended up playing against or playing on the same team as a guy that i played against in college in james ennis uh, my rookie year won a championship um and so yeah it was a, a total blessing uh, from start to finish and from there i actually had a, I, I had originally signed a three-year deal with Perth. i opted out with a player option because i was hoping to get some more opportunity with a different nbl club and so like the whole way that the king's uh door opened was completely out of the blue um got a call that from a mutual friend with vladi who had just taken the job at the time um asking if i could come in an interview with Vladdy tomorrow <laughs> i thought this was a joke so i said of course dropped everything i was doing i was this was august so i was literally getting ready to head back to australia in like a couple weeks and interviewed with Vladdy and pejia who both came in were super down to earth the conversation went really well and uh they told me eventually they're like well we'll get back to you in a couple weeks and so i i messaged my buddy and i'm like hey i, I kind of need to make a decision whether i'm going to go back to australia or i, I kind of like to see this through before you know making this call and vladi called me that night and uh, offered the, the offer letter was there and i just quickly decided to pivot and hang up my basketball shoes and kind of dive into uh, a role in the front office and so spent five and a half years with the kings uh incredible experience uh, wouldn't take anything back it was a dream job for me working uh you know growing up like I said as a Kings fan and then being able to work with uh you know guys like Vladi and who are amazing humans and grew up a huge fan obviously so I was fanboying for the last five and a half years (laughs) essentially um and here we are
0: (laughs) it's amazing though it's like just an Unreal story, and then uh, unfortunately, you know, obviously you got you got let go, and the changeover, which happens to front office people uh, all the time, and you've been just doing a little bit of scouting on the side and kind of kind of hanging out and doing your thing in Sacramento. So I'm I'm glad that the King's loss is the Game Theory Podcast's gain.
1: <laughs> One man's trash is another man's treasure. That's right,
0: Tim. Thank you. <laughs> So let's jump in and talk about the NBA and talk a little bit about this Clippers-Mavs game that happened earlier today. So the Clippers uh, end up knocking out the Mavs after being down 2-0, being down 3-2 in this series. And I I don't think I'm surprised because this Mavericks team, just looking at how that roster has been built, I'm not really a fan of it, right? Uh, It's... Tim Hardaway Jr. was their second best player this year. Uh, Kristaps Porzingis just does not look to be back from the litany of injuries that he's unfortunately had to deal with over the course of his career. And like Dorian Finney-Smith was arguably more valuable than Kristaps was this year, despite the fact that Kristaps averaged like 20 and 8. So I'm not surprised that the Mavs couldn't keep it together for a game 7 but, man, it was a fun ride in this entire series. And, man, it was a fun ride in Game 7 because that was a roller coaster watching Luca kind of go off uh, through the first quarter and first half.
1: Unreal. I mean, but did he finish with 29 at half, I think? He was yeah. virtually unguardable this entire series. Um, and it's crazy to see him take another step. Every I mean, last year we saw in the playoffs, too, at the bubble. I feel like when the lights are on and he just takes his game to another level, which is pretty cool to see.
0: Yeah. He's kind of always been like that too. Uh, the, the number that I've been kind of showing on Twitter, I guess, or tweeting out is that, you know, he is five games out of 13 playoff games. Now where he has 40 points and nine assists, including today, he did it again. I think he had like 42 and 13 or 14 or something, uh, yeah. which are just like literal video game numbers. uh, He's one of now three players in NBA history to do that. Like LeBron, I think, has done it nine times in like 180 NBA playoff games or whatever. Uh, It's what Luca is doing is not normal. Like Dallas has the hard part done. Finding that guy is the hard part. I mean, you guys spent five and a half years in Sacramento trying to find that guy and you didn't. And now this guy is here and Dallas has the tough part done. It's building around that guy. That's going to be the hard part, and we'll have to we'll see where it goes. Right?
1: Hundred percent. Yeah. I feel like. Uh, I mean, trust me. I hear a lot about Luca from <laughs> enough of my friends um, I, over the years.
0: I, I didn't. I didn't <laughs> want to <laughs> say it. You know what I mean? Uh, I was just gonna. I was gonna let you bring it up if you wanted to.
1: I, I would love to. I hate. You know, uh, building in a draft is incredibly hard, and uh, we were <laughs> clearly we were wrong, but. Uh, luca is a special generational talent uh it's just i'm trying to figure out what what their next step is i mean porzingis is clearly supposed to be the number two guy um i feel like you kind of need to is it shooting is it need to surround him with knockdown guys and maybe another playmaker
0: yeah i think that's the one thing that they need they need a second guy who can be just instant offense, right? Because Kristaps can't really create his own shot. He's never been a post creator. He's never been, uh, you know, he's been like kind of a mid post guy you could throw the ball to and maybe he can hit a fade away or just like, honestly, that shot where he has the high release point and just ends up uh, shooting over the top of a guy that's like six foot 10 or shorter. But I'm, I'm of the mind that the first thing they need to go out and find is a secondary playmaker. Or even a primary guy that can take some, you know, uh, some of the burden off of Luca. Like I've seen a couple people bring up the Kemba Walker for Kristaps Porzingis potential move. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was Boston, I would never do that. I just want to make that abundantly clear. Uh, I, I would rather have Kemba for two years than Porzingis for three. I understand why people would bring that up because Boston has a theoretical need at center. But I think they're probably going to ride with Robert Williams and see where that goes or maybe take a guy at 16 as opposed to that. I mean, they could look to get rid of Kemba, but the whole point of getting rid of Kemba would be to like kind of be able to reset with a different cap situation in a year, I think, as opposed to replacing him with another highly paid underperforming star, right?
1: Right, right. Totally.
0: So if you're dallas i think primary playmaker first and foremost and then i I liked the josh richardson move in a vacuum because it was like kind of shooting and defense but it was just terrible it didn't work i I mean i don't know like what do you think like i i would like my initial thing is playmaking and shooting defense like two-way players kind of like in the dorian finney smith role but they tried that last year and it failed like what do we what, what are we thinking for dallas
1: I think you're a hundred percent right. Like the, uh, the secondary ball handler playmaker has to, I don't know where they find that necessarily, but taking some pressure off of Luca, um, and then, yeah, surrounding him, I guess like some combination of shooters and dogs, <laughs> like, yeah, uh, and that's kind of what you kind of have in Finney Smith. Um, and, and I actually, I'm a Jalen Brunson fan. Uh, he's, he's been pretty solid for them, I think the last couple of years. And, uh, he brings some toughness but i think you need someone that can like really uh take the pressure off of luca from a playmaking standpoint um so i'm i'm super curious i mean porzingis is making what 31 next year 33 the year after that and he has a 36 million dollars in 23 24 that's a lot of money it's a
0: wild amount of money i feel like uh for him unfortunately but they have some real cap space this summer too Uh, i'm you know that that cap space does drop if they decide to try and hold on to Tim Hardaway Jr. and his twenty-eight million dollar cap hold. Right? Um, you know, I'm, I don't, I don't know this. I, I'm assuming Josh Richardson probably opts out of that eleven million dollars. Uh, mm. He could at least, I would think, get at least like eight or nine on the open market. Like maybe if maybe he doesn't get the full eleven, but he can get eight or nine on a longer term deal. Yep.
1: Yeah, yep. Yeah.
0: Or like, would he rather yeah. just take that one and then try to like try to run it back and see how next year goes to re-enter the market? I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he, he played six minutes today, <laughs> took one shot. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if it's uh, if he's not feeling the fit or if they don't really necessarily see him. I, I don't know. You're right. Maybe he uh, he opts out and tries to get in a better situation for himself. But interesting.
0: Yeah, and. So they're, let's say they even have to do that $28 million cap hold on Tim Hardaway. So that, that takes them up to like 101 guaranteed. Josh Richardson gets them up past like the salary cap, which is projected at 112 next year. So this is a team that, depending on what Josh Richardson does, and then depending on what they decide to do with Tim Hardaway Jr., they're going to be keeping their options open, I think, first and foremost. And then kind of secondly i think that they need to just look on the market and see if they can could could you potentially go out and try and get like a lonzo ball like do we think lonzo's a good enough secondary creator next to Luca, or is he just gonna cause more of the same issues for them in the half court because he's not a great half court creator i feel like
1: right right Uh, it's an interesting yeah i don't know i feel like uh Lonzo has improved as a shooter. Um, That's actually not a bad... I mean, and I wouldn't necessarily... Is Lonzo like a great half-court creator, like you said? He's more of a kick-ahead, great in transition. I don't know if... I don't know. It's an interesting name for sure. The other name I've
0: seen is DeMar DeRozan, but he isn't the shooter spacer. You know what I mean?
1: Right. Yeah. And he's kind of like... The ball kind of sticks with him at times. I don't know if he's that... Yeah,
0: Yeah, like I I don't... either. (laughs) <laughs> I don't think you'd want Luka next to a guy where the ball gets sticky in their hands, like with Damar.
1: Yeah, that's uh I've always thought that uh, this is super round. Obviously, I'm biased, but maybe someone like Buddy kind of in uh, a, alongside Tim Hardaway. I mean, I don't know how the money works with that, obviously. But uh, I, I do think that the shooting to me, because the ball is in his hand so much, he's trying to get downhill. And you uh, once he's making plays, he can obviously pick defenses apart and just Kind of putting more shooting around him, I think, would help. I, it's tricky. I, I don't know what Dallas does. Clearly, it sounds like they're not making a coaching change. So, yeah.
0: I think that the other one that I like that I haven't seen mentioned yet is Spencer Dinwiddie. Spencer, again, the ball does get a yep. bit sticky with him, and he's not an elite shooter, but he's a good enough shooter to where I think that. I don't think the price is going to be wild. Like, I think you're talking 15 million or so, maybe something like that. Um, And and that's more the guy that I think makes sense for them. Something in like, in the Dinwiddie mold, who can shoot, who I think would probably take uh, a number two option as opposed, DeMar took a number two option. I don't want to like, you know, say that DeMar didn't necessarily, like he'd be comfortable with that. But I think that, Dinwiddie, from a price perspective, probably fits a little bit more and fills a few more holes for them. Maybe.
1: Yeah, I like that a lot, actually. And and Dinwiddie can play with the ball in his hands too. And so you kind of, yeah. I guess now I'm thinking about it. Tim Hardaway is solid off the dribble. I feel like he can create his own shot. But I I think maybe that's a little more. uh, That Dinwiddie comp or comp that Dinwiddie name is actually an interesting, interesting one for sure.
0: So where where do we think the the clippers succeeded here kind of watching this game like what what makes what was impressive about uh the clippers performance for you today
1: uh Kawhi, uh to me is the one who kind of uh, elevated his game took it upon himself to try and not switch as much on Luca um he was just a, he was a beast today I feel like uh, I'd kind of been waiting to see this and after they went down o2. I feel like we started to kind of... I mean, look, how he was 10 for 15 today, got to the line, almost had a triple-double, zero turnovers. I feel like, uh, you know, talk about a two-way player. Uh, <laughs> I feel like uh, his performance today was super impressive to me. And, and yeah, I mean, and then on top of that, like, the role players late and Reggie Jackson and Marcus Morris just went nuts. And I feel like uh, that, to me, was the difference maker tonight. It was kind of those... Uh, third, fourth, fifth guys kind of stepping up. Trey Mann had, or not Trey Mann. <laughs> oh, yeah, Trey Mann. I'm getting confused now with draft guys. But, uh, yeah, Trey Mann, I thought, had great minutes. Uh, kind of, oh, and Luke Kennard even came in and uh, had it played a major role late. And so I feel like uh, a lot of those role players today stepped up when they needed to. And they, at the end of it, got it done.
0: Yeah, how, how good is uh, Terrence Mann? Trey, Trey Mann is the draft prospect, unfortunately. Um <laughs> it always happens yeah yeah Yeah, Yeah. those stupid brain fades always happen uh (laughs) terrence man like becoming a real nba player is like one of my favorite things because if you've ever talked to terrence man did you guys have him pre-draft last year
1: you know what we had him pre-draft and we also went to portsmouth and interviewed him and yeah awesome kid
0: just like elite of the elite in terms of like uh character like good person all about the team like did that kind of stuff stand out to you guys
1: Hundred uh, percent. All the intangibles that you want, and especially—I mean—you could see the maturity in the way that he kind of approached uh, the workout, how he approached an interview, um, and yeah, I'm actually a huge Terrence Man fan. Now. I mean, he's been his role has obviously increased this year. He's taken advantage of his opportunity, um, and he's become like a great utility role player for. Uh, LA and I think uh, you can be happier for kids like kids like that you really love seeing them succeed
0: yeah and with him it's like that ability to process the game like the big thing that I always talk about like on this podcast is I want guys that are quick at processing basketball and can make quick decisions and I think that with particularly Terrence Mann and Nick Batum they have found guys that Are really good at that and then are also versatile and smart defenders. I would imagine that they end up playing a little bit bigger against the Jazz because I think it's just really hard to play without any size against Gobert because of how strong he is. But with them with what they did against Luca and against Dallas, essentially guarding Porzingis with a small, and then uh, yeah. you know guarding Boban with a small at times as well. Boban had fourteen and ten, but if uh, if Boban is beating you, I feel like that's a win. For the Clippers, totally. as opposed to yeah. uh, Luca or Tim Hardaway Jr. canning threes, or you know Luca spraying the ball out for wide open threes. So, yeah, guys who can process the game quickly on both offense and defense. I feel like those are the two things that, uh, are really the one thing that showcases itself on both ends that uh, that I that I look for a lot in the draft process and look for in draft prospects.
1: Totally.
0: Where where do you fall on this utah clippers series how how do we think this is going to go
1: i actually think i have utah coming out of the west um have you had that the whole the whole uh playoffs uh i think from the start of the playoffs i had utah i feel like i've just been super impressed with uh the maturity the depth um i feel like they seem to really be clicking mike conley is much more comfortable in his role this year um I don't know. I I am excited for the series, obviously, Uh, but I think I have Utah still kind of prevailing. I feel like uh, they have set this great balance of uh, maturity, IQ. They have, obviously, a star in Donovan, and uh, I feel like they really – chemistry wise they really mesh well together and uh they pick defenses apart and they have several they, they hit you from a variety of different angles and i i don't know i, I just don't know if uh the clippers can hang what what are, what are your thoughts
0: yeah i think that people have been drastically underrating how good utah is all season yeah i mean they and are very phoenix. yeah and phoenix and With Utah, I think that everyone just kind of waits for the shoe to drop because of the propensity to play drop coverage. And that seems to be everyone's kind of, um, you know, the thing that everyone hates right now. You can't play drop coverage in the playoffs. you Can't uh, make it work at the end of the day. You know what, though? The Jazz, I feel like, know that better than anyone because they absolutely annihilate drop coverage, first and foremost, offensively. So it becomes really hard to play the reason I think Utah is so good is it's really hard to play small against them because Rudy will destroy you on the glass if you do and because yeah he doesn't post necessarily but he does like roll and seal really well so that if you play a small on him he's going to be able to just high point the ball and score on you pretty easily but It's really hard to play truly big against them. Like, Zubats is going to have all sorts of problems in the series, because if you drop against them, they have so many, A, pull-up shooters who are great. Donovan Mitchell, uh, Mike Conley, obviously. Joe Ingles can kind of walk behind a screen and knock it down. Jordan Clarkson's very comfortable doing it. Um, Boyan's obviously very comfortable doing it as well. And all of those guys are also excellent catch-and-shoot guys and Mike particularly as well as Donovan and Boyon, to an extent uh, and certainly Joe all of those guys are such good passers they spray the ball so well out to those kick out guys I think it's really really hard to play big against them but it's also hard to play small against them it's kind of a it's kind of a perfect storm of offensive skills without like a superstar player Um, and that's why they're so good offensively and so difficult to deal with right
1: totally yeah uh they pick you apart they really do win uh yeah they got great guard play i love i wasn't a huge gobert fan uh i don't i, I don't know my my thought my thought process sorry my opinion of him has changed i think uh my opinion on rim protectors in general and like true bigs and size has changed uh dramatically and so uh yeah utah is a really good team and uh i don't know i mean
0: well how, how is I, I your how is your uh opinion of rim protectors changed like what do you mean when you say that
1: uh, i think looking at the bubble and when you look at playoff teams uh i guess i i didn't value it as much as uh i do now i think that you know, you look at the Jokic's, the Embiid's, the having true rim protection is kind of the anchor of your defense, and um, especially in a, in, a ga- in today's game where you you know playing on the perimeter, you can't touch a guy, and so you have having someone that can like really uh, alter shots or uh, you know protect that rim, I think is like super valuable, and uh, I kind of downplayed that I think uh, at times, uh, you know, in my time with the kings as far as like my personal evaluation of players Um, I I think that it's just a much more valuable skill than I anticipated so
0: yeah and it's interesting too because I kind of agreed with you like I almost would have always rather had like the bam at a bio for instance right or the switchable defensive center as opposed to like the true big that you're playing in a drop and then making it work Uh, but even just look at that clippers Mavs series, I felt like a big part of it was the Mavericks adjustment back after game four game four or game five, I can't remember um, was to bring in Boban off the bench and kind of start him and play him a bunch of minutes and just play like super huge humans in the paint and right. bas- basically making the Clippers play as a perimeter-based team, which is something that... um they're very comfortable doing and i think that they prefer it but i think they prefer it to their detriment at times and where they got very dangerous in games three and four was the parade to the rim so the way dallas adjusted back was to go with super rim protection i do think that it's really important to be able to protect the rim and that kind of goes with like it's so intuitive to say that but i feel like we did go away from it for a minute in the nba
1: yeah,
0: and like over evaluating the ability to kind of just play and play in a variety of different pick and roll coverages, but um, and I think that it's important to still be able to show teams different looks, right? It's important to be able to show different, just different ways of combating what the offense is going to do. You know, you should be able to play flat. You should be able to um, trap and try and force a turnover uh, and put two on the ball, right? You should be able to uh, drop and you should be able to switch, right? Like you need to do all of those things. That's what. Genuine NBA champions do, but I do think more and more that the best way to build a defense is probably uh, inside out, at least in terms of raising the floor of your defense.
1: Sure. Uh, Yeah. Do you feel like because I know I'm, I'm kind of thinking in my own, but Dallas' situation with their bigs was actually super interesting. And like you said, that they obviously, at the end of it, decided to go with Boban. But I was always kind of curious, like, uh, throughout the season, they were going with Willie Colley-Stein, they were going with Dwight Powell, Finney Smith was playing some center with uh, Porzingis, when Porzingis was out. Like, they kind of, ha- and every one of those bigs has, like, obviously these different qualities and different uh, skill sets. Mm-hmm. And so, what... I, my question to you, I guess, is like, what is your ultimate like taste, or what would you like most out of your? So, what do you look for the most out of your centers?
0: I, I think that now, <laughs> I mean, this is this is a ridiculous thing to say, right? But I feel like there are all these different kind of. Um, kind of molds that centers and are built in now, like the Clint Capella rim protection, rim runner who is athletic and can switch a little bit, but is probably a little bit better uh, playing either flat or playing a drop coverage in defense. There is the pure spacer like a Porzingis, right? There is the space and rim protect, which is what Porzingis used to be uh, such as miles Turner. There's the kind of ability to catch all and do everything. Right. And then you have Anthony Davis like that. I think I would want the guy who can, I think even more than shooting now, I want the guy who's comfortable with the ball in his hands and is good at rim protection, but also switchable defensively. Um, uh, Like the guy that stands out to me in this draft that is Evan Mobley, obviously, because he can just kind of do a lot of different things, but also like Usman Garuba can do a lot of that. Uh, He's really switchable, can go out and, play in a variety of any pick and roll coverage you want to play. He's only six foot eight. He has incredible length and is really good at walling up around the basket, but even above shooting, he's really comfortable. Like you could play him in dribble handoffs. You could play him, uh, you know as a release valve if the other team puts two on the ball there's just a lot that you can do i think
1: yeah yeah i'd agree with that i feel like uh it's funny because i always uh, i mean especially come playoff time I mean, you every, everything switchable or switching and so like on one hand i'm like well i want a big that is mobile enough and comfortable on the perimeter and uh <laughs> here we are thinking about these unicorns i want this 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 and this but right uh and i love rim runners i think that like I really love like a guy like Rashawn Holmes. I think uh maybe with a little more size, a little more uh com- like comfort as far as like maybe some post game, but uh I've always kind of le- leaned more towards those rim runners, um guys that move well that are comfortable like I said, you know, switching on to guards on the perimeter like uh that's kind of how I wa- I mean, that's how I still kind of am I that, that those are kind of more of the qualities I look for uh, from that position. Um but yeah, it's just an interesting conversation that I I feel like uh, come playoff time, like you said, all these different teams. Have, it's all about matchups, and so trying to figure out, uh, you know, which which guy. I mean, who knows? Maybe we'll see De- Marcus Cousins next uh, next round after not playing. I mean, it's all about matchups in the playoffs and uh, stuff. That, fun stuff to think about.
0: Yeah, I think that I want. More, more. I think that like it defensively, I want someone who can protect the rim and space a little bit at least, or uh, or, yeah. and uh, guard away from the basket a little bit. Like, I, I do want someone with at least like Clint Capella level of ability to switch. Like, you don't feel great when Clint Capella's out on an island against a guard, but like, he can handle the job a little bit, right?
1: Totally, yeah.
0: Um, yeah. I, I at least want that. And then even more than shooting, I want guys who are dexterous with the ball and can kind of do a lot of different things. Uh, I think that that's kind of... If if I'm building a team, those are the skills that I'm placing at the highest priority. Now, that's not to say that, like, if Miles Turner was to come available on the trade market, which, like, who knows, right? Given the fact that they have both Sabonis and Turner, um, that I wouldn't take Miles Turner over a lesser center, Right, I would because Miles Turner is great, and you can make it work with Miles Turner because he's such a good defender and can shoot. But I think that in a vacuum, those are kind of the skills that I prioritize from the center position now.
1: Yeah, yeah, nice.
0: All right, Drake, let's take a quick commercial break, and then we will be back with a little bit more on these final three playoff series. okay and we're back here uh at the game theory podcast with drake yu what series do you want to go to next do you want to do hawk sixers because they played today do you want to do denver suns do you want to do uh Beck bucks nets because they played yesterday what are you thinking
1: uh you know let's talk philly atlanta I okay kinda like uh you, i kind of like this series so i was I talking Atlanta winning
0: I was talking to you on the phone, uh what, that was probably a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. And yeah, I said to you, I think that Atlanta poses a lot of problems for Philadelphia. And this was before Joel Embiid got hurt. Right. The the reason is mostly because, you know, we just spent a while talking about like rim protection and about um you know playing drop coverage and everything and how you can do it. but the problem is that Philly doesn't really do anything else because you can't really do anything else with Joel out on the floor. and then on top of that, I kind of thought that Trey Young was just going to eat in this series and in the first game, he had 35 and 10 and he just basically ate whenever he wanted to eat
1: yeah
0: I mean what what did you think watching that game?
1: You know, to me, I've been really impressed, I think, since the the switch in coaches. Nate McMillan has, like, transformed Trey's game completely. I think that's kind of my biggest takeaway from the year. Um, And what I mean by that is, obviously, Trey's putting up big numbers. He's had an all-star year already. But uh, to me, it's the decision-making, the shot selection. And he just, his game seems to have matured significantly. Um, And teammates seem to, like, really enjoy playing with him and he's making the game easy for guys um and so i think that like nate has like instilled a defensive minded philosophy he's uh got a i think he's got great depth on this team i'm a huge fan of uh you know a lot of their young wings uh and then the the addition of bogey i think has obviously been a huge plus for them um but i think that they actually match up really well with philly and yeah i don't know if they really have an answer for trey and i don't they didn't today and i don't know if they will i, I think that you know it's a, maybe they switch Ben onto him full time or um but i just I, I atlanta is so deep to me and uh they have a good balance similar to utah and they seem to be kind of clicking and this second half of the season they've definitely clicked uh, as a unit um but yeah i, I I really like Atlanta's chances. I think that they did a good job neutralizing uh, MB today, and yeah, I, I wasn't surprised at all that they won. And uh, it, the one thing that was crazy—that I, I don't know if you caught the game—but the very end, I'm like, <laughs> you know, you, you take your eyes off the game for a couple of minutes, and all of a sudden, this twenty-point lead dwindles all the way down, and suddenly, yeah. <laughs> all these possession came down to a free throw game at the very end. But uh, they were able to hold on. But uh, yeah, I'm—I'd like this Atlanta team a lot
0: yeah i had to uh i had to catch this as a rewatch because this game happened at three a m in the morning here in australia i am i 'm getting used to having to Uh, You just rewatch games. I'm I'm typically someone who mostly time shifts games and like watches them later so that I can watch them in 50 minutes as opposed to like two and a half hours. But uh, during the playoffs, I watch a lot more live and have gotten used to watching a lot more live. So that was a that was a tough one to miss. I mean, with Atlanta, they kind of just have a lot of the things that you look for in a good playoff roster. They have an elite creator in Trey Young who processes processes the game exceptionally quickly. Uh, He is a three-level scorer who is an unbelievable passer. You have a legit defensive center in Clint Capella, who is great. You have another young, burgeoning star in John Collins. You have a motherfucker of a shot maker in Bogey, like there's no circumstance he's on the atlanta hawks i would imagine if you guys were still working in sacramento right
1: <laughs> i think that uh yeah bogey would be a king for life if we <laughs> if we were still there. But, yeah pretty, i mean amazing i'm super happy for bogey to at least have the opportunity to play in the playoffs everybody's now he's playing on a national stage and he's like again like we talked about with terrence man he's just like such an amazing human uh and plays best when the lights are on and on the, on the, on the biggest stage. And so, uh, but yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> uh,
0: in the case of Bogey, too, like, it's funny. Like, I, I mean, this is another thing that I tweeted, like, right when the playoffs started. But, like, I think people don't recognize Bogdan Bogdanovich's, like, history of big moment exploits, right? Uh, he is not... A guy to like mess around with in the playoffs. He will absolutely destroy you if you give him any sort of space. And he's a legit creator in the playoffs too. He can handle the ball. He can run, pick and roll. This is a guy who was the top scorer at the FIBA World Cup in 2019. Uh, he was the he was a EuroLeague all decade team member and that is legit just like it's a season but then you have uh, playoffs and he was absolutely exceptional in the playoffs. He was the EuroLeague finals top scorer in 2017. Uh, He was a Turkish League finals MVP in 2017. He was the Serbian League playoffs MVP in 2014 when he was 22 years old. Like this dude just there's never there's never going to be a moment that's too big for him. I feel like.
1: Totally.
0: I, I just did a, such a good player. And then uh, on, on top of it, I think it's worth noting too that Atlanta shot well today, right? They got three for four from three from John Collins. They got three for six from Herter. They got two for four from Lou Will. Uh, Bogey made five. You know, Solomon Hill is really the only guy that didn't shoot well today. They're probably not going to shoot 20 of 47 from three every night. You're probably not going to make 43% every single night. And then on the other side, Philadelphia goes 10 of 29 from three, they shoot 35. So like, they weren't like wildly off of like a yearly percentage, but when you're talking a four point game and look, I know Atlanta uh, led by a lot for a majority of this game. Like you're up 20 points at halftime and you're up 15 going into the fourth quarter. Like, look, it's Philly had to like scratch and claw late, late in this game to make it a four point game. But it does feel like Atlanta's probably due for some shooting regression. It feels like Philadelphia will have better shooting nights. I'm I'm just not sure like what to make of Philadelphia's like perimeter rotation. Like Shake Milton played one minute today. Uh, Maxie played more minutes than like George Hill and Furkan Korkmaz. Which I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. I, I just kind of wonder if they're in a a similar circumstance with the Clippers were early in da- in the Dallas series where in a hyper competitive situation, cause that first series they played was just not hyper competitive. Let's call it what it is. Right. Yep, yep. In a, in a hyper competitive situation, I'm not sure they know who they're going to be able to rely on for those like 25 minutes off the bench that they need from their backcourt on a night to night basis.
1: Yeah, I agree. And when we start talking about the depth of Atlanta and I look at their wings and their guard play, uh, compared to Philly's I just don't know if Philly has the firepower the shot making ability that Atlanta does Uh, I mean Thiebel actually shot the ball well today and on the flip side I wouldn't actually uh, I mean that's kind of uncharacteristic of him you're you're looking at him more on the defensive end but um, yeah I I just the lack of shooting and I guess depth from Philly I think kind of worries me in this series so I do want to ask you though I'm kind of curious where are you at with John Collins
0: I'm a big John Collins guy. I've always been a pretty big fan. The the reason is that he gets better at something every year. Like entering the league, he was like energy, motor, rebounding guy.
1: Yeah.
0: Wake used him a lot in pick and roll, but he wasn't like versatile pick and roll threat that he is now. You know, third year, he goes, gets the jump shot uh, and becomes like an actual versatile pick and roll threat where you can pick and pop him. You can pick and pop to where he can attack a closeout and finish. You can just roll him all the way to the basket and finish. And that combination of skills now to where he can catch and shoot and knock down shots from three allows him to play on the court with Clint Capella, which is huge for them because it gives them that little bit of added uh ability on defense and added size on defense and then on top of it he got a lot better on defense over the course of the last year and a half like john collins i'm I'm not sitting here saying he's like an all nba defender he's not even close to that level but he's not a liability anymore like when he entered the league and even in his second season he was a genuine defensive liability he is an average defender in the NBA now, and just getting to average, I think, is such an enormous thing for him because it allows him to stay on the floor in multiple different situations while maintaining and getting the value out of his offensive ability.
1: Totally, yeah. I'm super. I'm a huge John Collins fan. I'm. I'm curious to see. I would imagine uh, Atlanta matches anything that another team would throw at him, but I feel like. Uh, yeah he kind of came in the league as this like super athletic kind of rim running uh lob threat big and like you said he just worked his butt off on both ends but the skill set has just like really evolved nicely for him and uh all of that and then he also plays with like this great toughness and like nastiness that i think kind of you know between him and uh trey and they got like some young swagger on the team and uh yeah and then some of these vicious dunks that he had, like especially the one he had late, the lob. I'm like, my goodness! Like, he's really starting to put his game together nicely. And uh, yeah, I think he's quietly had like a most improved player type of year um, on the low. So,
0: yeah, no one, no one will give him that award because of like I think honestly his numbers probably dropped a little bit this year from what they were last year, but he's a much better player now than he was last year. And it's huge for them. Like, I'm glad you brought up that toughness aspect with Atlanta. They really do have that. They're a young team. They're inexperienced. This is their first playoff run. But, like, Trey Young is not going to be afraid of of any moment whatsoever. John Collins, that dude is tough he's physical i don't think he's afraid of the moment we know bogey's not afraid of the moment herder i think has been unbelievable in the playoffs like he was unbelievable again today he went six of nine from yep. the field made three threes had four assists like he's actually also been really good defensively did, did you kind of see him as being useful defensively when he entered the league because i i certainly did not
1: you know i did because he has a he has positional size And, B, he's got this, like, he's a sneaky athlete. And so for him to, uh, I I really wasn't too concerned. He moved well laterally, I thought. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, you know, white guys are going to get targeted in the league. um, But I wasn't too concerned because, I mean, he'll also catch you sleeping at the rim and, you know, finish one, uh, finish a nasty dunk over you in the lane, like kind of out of nowhere. And so uh, I wasn't too worried about, like, the athletic, or sorry, the uh, defensive liability. Um, and I just, I was a huge fan of his coming out of the draft. Uh, some of our, I mean, it's funny because that that year in the draft room, uh, I was so high on Trey. I, I had I was like obsessed with him, and then uh, and every <laughs> every year in the drafts, I get obsessed with random players. But Trey was one where I'm like, my goodness! And I, it was I was like the polarizing uh, one in the room because we had a lot of people that were anti-Trey, like super pro Colin Sexton at the time, and those were some of the conversations we would have in that lottery um both great young players but it's just kind of like you know beauty is in the eye of the beholder uh, but on the draft night everybody's like drake's making the calls in atlanta like oh my gosh because some people thought that kevin hurt should have <laughs> gone back to school yeah and i'm like dude this kid is a lottery guy and sure enough he shoots the crap out of it at the combine and his stock kind of slowly starts rising and i, I just loved his he kind of has that like uh secondary third ball like playmaker ability but also is like a knockdown shooter and can play off the ball he's got great feel um so yeah i'm i mean again i'm a big fan of this young atlanta team like uh they kind of have that swagger that we had briefly in that 2018 year maybe it was with when we won 39 games and we were playing with shump and you had this like young core that was kind of exciting and kind of had their own swagger to them and i i see that with this atlanta team and but they also have a balance of like veteran leadership and toughness and you know some of those role players like solomon hill and and tony snow and uh even gallo i mean guys that have been there before and obviously Bogan. Yeah. and so it's like this unique balance which i think is is cool they're, they're a fun team to watch i've liked watching them all year
0: yeah, I think Schlank's done a really good job of building this team. Uh, he, he's done a really just phenomenal job of rounding out what they needed in terms of talent, and in terms of, uh, uh just in terms of, uh, like, comfort. Like, the, it, even, like, going to get Lou Williams. Like, Lou Williams has not been awesome for Atlanta, but they made the right move getting him for Rondo, I think. Just, like, kind of getting Rondo off the team a little. Like, I'm not saying, like, Rondo was terrible like rondo was terrible for them this year but like it's not like he was like a culture you know asshole problem it was just it wasn't working and they decided to do something different and Lou williams is like renowned as one of the great guys like around the league so it's just like this really nice mix of they like to be around each other it seems like they have a really good skill mix on the floor and then they have trey young and john collins and all these guys that aren't going to be afraid of the moment And they're talented. Like, it's just a really fun group. I really enjoy the Atlanta Hawks a lot. Um, I don't think we're writing off Philadelphia here, right, though? Like, Joel Embiid obviously is hurt, but, I mean, they still have Ben Simmons, who, I mean, frankly, Atlanta's only way of stopping him today was to send him to the foul line. And then Joel probably will continue to dominate inside I I would think like he was ridiculous today like they had no answer for him you know they fouled him a ton and you know he he had no problem scoring at the basket uh Tobias Harris and Danny Green maybe will shoot better at some point like I'm still I still think this is a seven game series like I I don't think this is a this is not going to be a walkover either way
1: yeah that's a good point I mean I am very curious to see uh Yeah, because Atlanta, I mean, it's almost as if they just, Philly just ran out of time because you could sense the momentum shifting late. And, you know, fortunately they were able to close it out. But, you know, I'm curious to see what adjustments Doc makes and, uh, yeah, how they plan on attacking this next game.
0: I think that your idea earlier of playing Ben almost full time on Trey is the right call. I don't think you can play Thiebel on him because Thiebel will just like, get in foul trouble like immediately yeah. on trey i think because trey is so good at Thibault is very over aggressive and trey is so good at like feeding off of that over aggressiveness and i don't think danny green is quite quick enough anymore to deal with them like you obviously show trey different looks and defense isn't like a one-man game but i uh, i think you go ben on him don't you
1: yeah, hundred percent. I think that you try and throw some size at him, and Trey's going to get to his spots. He's going to pull from wherever, and uh, he, he's a he's got he's a nightmare to guard because he literally uh, he has that Steph Curry, Dame, Lillard range where you have to honor him as soon as he passes half court, um, and then once he gets downhill or in a pick and roll, he's he's smart enough and has enough field to kind of locate or break break you guys or break the defense down. So, I think that maybe putting some size on him and some length and kind of muscling them up a little bit and try and get physical with them might be the move for for Philly moving forward
0: yeah uh, I'm excited to see the rest of that series let's go to uh let's go to let's go to the Bucks and Nets because they've actually played already did it surprise you that the Bucks couldn't get it done in game one when Brooklyn lost James Harden within the first minute <laughs>
1: It didn't surprise me. Uh, it's funny because my buddy, my boy, was joking with me. He's like, "Dude, did you hear James Harden went out? Uh, what are they? What are they going to do?" I'm like, "Oh my gosh, who are they going to? Who would they call on next?" They're, they have nobody. It's like, well, I don't know. Maybe KD steps up, or maybe Kyrie just <laughs> takes more shots. It's like they're so stacked and. Yeah. And they have, like, pretty solid role players and, and great depth. It's like, I mean, and to be honest, they played – not those three together did not play a ton this year. And so I feel like uh, they're kind of used – not not used to it, but, I mean, this isn't anything new for them. And so I feel like uh, I wasn't too surprised. I think that, like, my problem with the Bucks, and this is where a guy like Bogey would really help them, I think, is just the lack of shooting and – they really didn't They didn't shoot the ball well on Saturday, and I feel like uh, it just puts so much more pressure on, on a Giannis and a Drew to, like, try and make something happen when your role players aren't able to make shots, and especially with—I I feel like they, the Bucks to me, have to play, like, a perfect series to uh, beat Brooklyn. Uh, are you as high on Brooklyn? I feel like I have Brooklyn coming out of the East, personally, but— I mean, what are, what are your thoughts?
0: I mean, look, I, I had I, I have a title future on Milwaukee um, at nine to one, but I, I think I did say on the podcast uh, before the playoffs that I forget who I recorded with to preview the playoffs, but I said I thought Brooklyn and the Clippers, if I remember correctly, were my two picks, uh, yeah. and the Clippers almost like catastrophically made me look exceptionally dumb. We're still in it, though. Don't worry. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I will make myself look <laughs> dumb at some other point, but that one still does not yet look that dumb. Um, yeah, I just think no one's going to beat Brooklyn. Uh, I, I thought that the Bucks had an exceptionally interesting matchup on them because Brook. Like this is the series by far I'm looking forward to most, maybe of the playoffs. Like just trying to think of like the different series is that could like come together this one is most interesting to me especially for brooklyn because they don't have anyone to deal with Giannis. like they, they just have no one that is really going to be able to handle him even in game one i mean he goes for 34 in 35 minutes and has like 11 rebounds and four assists and you know milwaukee kept going back to the well with that Giannis. you know almost like four two pick and roll right uh th- that stuff I don't think Brooklyn has an answer for that. Now, the the problem is that without Dante DiVincenzo, and this is gonna sound really fucking dumb, I'm aware of that, because you know, I'm gonna say for a second here that like with Dante a game would be different. But I actually think that it would be because they the Bucks just don't have anyone to kind of eat up minutes in the backcourt right now that isn't just like target practice for Brooklyn, one of Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving to try and get a matchup with, right? Like, every time Pat Connaughton's out there, they're trying to hunt Connaughton. Every time Bryn Forbes is out there, they're trying to hunt Bryn Forbes. And with Dante, that's not a problem. And then with like Dante, you don't want Dante on Kevin Durant. But if it's Dante on Kyrie, you're not like, oh my God, we're fucking dead in the water here. Uh, It's just a normal amount of dead in the water when Kyrie has the ball, right? Uh, It's not like Bryn Forbes is guarding Kyrie. We're about to you know, give up three points here with ease. So I think that the Dante loss is actually really important in this series. And then on top of it, I mean, if Brooklyn gets the kind of, play that it gets from its role that it got from its role players in game one. Like if it gets 18 and 14 from Blake Griffin and gets 19 points from Joe Harris, where he goes five of nine from three. And then, you know, Mike James scores 12 points and Nick Claxton plays unbelievable defensively. There is not a fucking team in the NBA beating this team. Like It's just not going to happen
1: with without James.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, with or without James. Yeah. hundred percent. So, I want to see more of what this series looks like when Brooklyn doesn't have all of this offensive firepower from guys that it shouldn't expect to have offensive firepower from on a regular basis, like Blake Claxton and Mike James.
1: Sure. Yeah. And to be fair, like Chris Middleton probably doesn't go six for 23 and uh, some of these role players, I mean, Drew didn't play great. Uh, and Forbes didn't play great you're right uh, and they only lost by eight uh, so th- this this will still be an interesting series I just at times when I'm watching Brooklyn I'm like this is like a video game This is, I can't believe this roster is put together and Blake Griffin suddenly has bounce again and uh, yeah like they're getting quality minutes out of everyone Alizé Johnson has had moments during this year where I'm like my goodness these guys are just firing on all cylinders but uh, yeah i I don't know. I, I just, the role players from Milwaukee, uh, I don't know if if they're not playing their A game. I feel like it's going to be really difficult for them.
0: Well, and like, look, another part of this is, and like, I don't mean to just like make this shit on Jeff Teague hour. Right. But like, I mean, J- Jeff Teague can't play another minute in the series. Like, I know that Mike Budenholzer, like, it's just like a habit for Mike to look down the bench from his time in Atlanta and now time in Milwaukee and just be like, oh yeah, I can go trust Jeff and he'll be fine you can't do it. Like, uh, unfortunately, like you just can't play Jeff in the series because he is absolutely a target for everyone. When he's out there, Um, they're going to switch him onto whoever they can every single time. And then offensively, he's just not good enough anymore. Like he doesn't have that same speed. He's not quite as good of a shooter as he used to be. Like there's just not really a way to make that work. I think so they're almost resigned to playing big a lot of the time. Whereas, like, I mean, like, I thought that my, my ideal for them was being able to play Giannis at the five and then P.J. Tucker at the four and then go, like, Middleton, Drew Holiday, and Dante. I mean, like, I, I think that, like, I, I'd be, like, trying to dust off, like, Elijah Bryant or something. Like,
1: see if... Yeah, seriously, I'm looking at this bench now. I'm like, shoot, maybe give Jordan Nora or, like, somebody, yeah. Yeah, too, I feel like, like, I, like a shot.
0: Yeah, I think it'd be Bryant for me because, like, you know, he's been in EuroLeague, League, has experienced big moments before. Like, I, I think that that'd be my my play. Try to give him Jeff Teague's minutes, but uh, I, I don't know, man. Like it, yeah. this, I, I thought this was going to be like a hard fought seven game series, and I don't want to overreact to one game because that's just like a fucking disaster idea right like don't overreact to one game in a seven game series but the milwaukee not being able to get that game after james harden goes out after one minute like that's that's tough for me because there you have to imagine that like for brooklyn that was a that was a real downer moment and for Milwaukee to not even be able to take advantage of that at all. It's hard. It's hard for me to get past that, like you know, that mental block in my brain.
1: Yeah, that's fair.
0: I mean, when you look at this Brooklyn team, like, what what do you think the best way to like even try and stop them is? Like, do you switch? Do you just try and play like flat ball screen to try and recover? Like, I I don't, I don't really know what you do against them, especially when Harden's in. But like, even. When it's just Katie and Kyrie and then Joe Harris in a corner, it's hard.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I I think you, yeah, I I don't, this isn't even, it might not even make sense, but I feel like you just got to continue to make these guys defend. Like, put, I I don't know if there's an answer to stop them offensively. Uh, They just have such great, talented individual guys that can go get a bucket whenever they want. Um, but maybe on the offensive, like they just s- spread them out, keep them moving, uh, try and make it, try and make them defend as much as possible. I mean, I don't, I don't know what the answer is to, I guess is the, uh, <laughs> my short answer. I like like
0: that. I, I think that you ha- you're on the right track in terms of like making them defend. Like maybe it's make them defend and then make shots on your end so that they can't get out and transition. Right? Like, if they're out in transition and scoring, you know, a certain number of points in transition, you're probably screwed as it is. But, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe they do, maybe it just has to be a track meet, right? Like, maybe Milwaukee just has to knock down threes and make it work.
1: This is why I I personally would love to see a Brooklyn Utah series because Utah's now that I'm thinking about it, they're kind of that team that can make them put them in enough action to like start thinking and like, You know, maybe there's, maybe there's mishaps on defense or they have to like, Utah to me just kind of plays what the defense gives them. And so I feel like they might be that one unique team that is like deep enough, matches up decently. I don't know how Gobert fits in that series right now off the top of my head, but kind of like that style, like the Golden State, like, where just people are constantly moving, cutting, people are making the right read smart players are kind of stretching them out. Um that kind of would be interesting for me uh, to see
0: honestly like do we think it I mean Atlanta is just not talented enough I don't think yet but like Atlanta's like mix of like their their matchups are not disastrous like against Philly like I feel like Philly has the best shot to defend them because Philly just has more defensive talent than anyone like in the league, basically, because they have all of Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, Matisse Thibel, Danny Green, you know, down the lineup. But, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like maybe, like, the, the mix of offense and defense, but Atlanta's just not talented enough, probably, right?
1: I don't know. I actually really like Atlanta. I'm not... Saying that they'll—I mean, I don't even know if they'll get out of this this round. I think they will, but I would love to see an Atlanta-Brooklyn series. Now that you, you mentioned it, I feel like again they have they have that youth in them that might make them it gives them that false, uh, false confidence. But they, you know, they start thinking, shoot, we can beat anybody, right? And they have a star in Trey, and they have like a again we've talked about, it, but the balance of that team, the depth of that team, the shooting that they have. Uh, uh, that would be a really interesting matchup. I, I don't, obviously, Brooklyn is the superior talent, but uh, that would be something that I, again, would like to see. And I think that they they would put some, you're right, they match up really well and they put some pressure on Brooklyn for sure.
0: For Milwaukee to get back into this series, I, I would say, like, first and foremost, it's hard because, like, I just want to say play better for a lot of this, but like Chris Middleton just has to play better. He has to shoot better than six of 23 from the field. Like Drew Holiday has to shoot better than seven of 19 and two of seven from three. If Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton go two of 12 from three and Chris Middleton misses an additional, uh, you know, 12 shots, Milwaukee just can't win these, these games. Like they just can't. So uh, like it, the adjustments, I guess, are don't play Jeff Teague and play better. But, like, that that just feels – it feels, like, silly. Like, that's not analysis. You know what I mean?
1: Sure. No, I mean, yeah, make more shots. <laughs> like, but, I mean, in the reality, to me, like, the, the one thing about the playoffs, two things that I think are actually interesting is that we talked about, like, the switching thing. Like, everybody will just attack Jeff Teague as soon as he's on the court. Like, that seems to be the MO come playoff time. It's like – Uh, I'm going to put my best player and switch him on to your worst defender and try and create that switch and then just play. Like, my best player is going to go against yours, and, like, that seems to always be a theme the last couple years in the playoffs, maybe the last decade. Um, And then, to me, it's the role players. Like, I just love uh, finding, but, like, you start seeing, like, certain guys kind of shine in this role and, like, end up contributing to wins. And ultimately, like, those guys are the X factors that put these teams over the line. And so – the Pat Connaughton's the Bryn Forbes and then yeah if it's Elijah Bryan or Jordan Wara or PJ Tucker like the, those guys have to play better for them to have a chance you know and so I can go through role players on all these different rosters that I've loved watching in the playoffs because like to me those are kind of the difference makers in these series
0: yeah and like Nick Claxton for instance with Brooklyn right like his ability to play all sorts of different defensive coverages. He was all over the place and helping in this game. Yeah. Like Nick Claxton was huge for Brooklyn. Like, you know, not as big as Kevin Durant and not as big as Kyrie and Blake Griffin going for 18, but like getting those 14 minutes from Nick Claxton, like getting positive 14 minutes from Nick Claxton versus the dog shit, 14 minutes they got from Jeff Teague. Like <laughs> that's, that's the difference, right?
1: Totally.
0: Um, would mike james be the second best creator on the dallas mavericks
1: actually yes (laughs) i'm such a mike james is so nasty to me like from a he he, his entire offensive skill set his pack his offensive package is crazy like the finishes the he makes tough shots i feel like Again, you kind of mentioned Dinwiddie, but certain they need someone that can kind of play on the ball uh, and create for themselves, create for someone else outside, like, in addition to Luca, But, yeah, Mike James, he's so fun to watch, like, so shifty. Uh, he'll hit you with, like, a Will Chamberlain hook shot from the free throw line, like, <laughs> a floater from three. He'll, you know, crazy step backs. He's got the ball on a string. He's, uh, yeah, I, I'm a big fan, but now you have james harden out and <laughs> insert mike james who's like a world-renowned scorer who can like you just have another stud coming off the bench and oh let me pick this tool now actually i want this yeah. guy to come out here <laughs> I the, take the, this away? okay i got blake griffin but like blake when he's 25 coming back right. to life now I'm like okay
0: the the problem with mike james is mike james thinks he's every bit as good as james harden
1: Oh yeah, and like, yeah. <laughs> it's like this is the big. I'm I'm in the big three.
0: <laughs> yeah, this is now my big three. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and it's good to have that confidence at times, but it, there will be a moment like there was a point in the, the third quarter of that game where he like it was either the third or early fourth where like there was a very clear reversal to Kyrie and Kyrie would have either been able to take a three or would have been able to like attack the closeout and get to a floater or get to a shot at the rim. And he looked off Kyrie. I was like, Oh my God, Mike James
1: (laughs) waves him off.
0: (laughs) like takes a look at him and is like, nah, I'm good. I got it. Like guy in front of me. I'm fine.
1: <laughs>
0: oh, I love it. Yep. Uh let's talk about this last series. Let's talk about uh Denver and the Suns. I mean I'm at the point where I, I just refuse to bet against Nikola Jokic, like at any point, period. The Suns should win this series. I understand that. Just based off of talent, they are so much better across the perimeter. They can throw Mikhail Bridges on Michael Porter and cause him all sorts of problems. Um You know, then you have the backcourt combination of Chris Paul and, uh, you know, obviously Devin Booker, who looks unbelievable in the playoffs. Honestly, if if we're being real about it, the Suns should win this series in maybe five games. But I think there is one specific problem for Phoenix, and it's that DeAndre Ayton versus Nikola Jokic is not a good matchup for Phoenix. Because Jokic is going to just attack him and try to get him directly into foul trouble every single time, I think. And if he does get DeAndre into foul trouble, they have nothing behind him. Like, they have Dario Saric playing the five. They have Frank Kaminsky. Like, you just... DeAndre Ayton is the most important player in this series, I think. In like period point blank, uh, if he can deal with Nikola Jokic and stay on the court for thirty-four minutes a night, Phoenix will win in five. But if he can't, this becomes a real series in a hurry, and it becomes like a somewhat dangerous one for Phoenix.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I feel like Phoenix. I, I really like Phoenix. I've like they've been fun to watch too all year. Um, this like whole Chris Paul experiment is just uh, my respect for Chris has just gone through the roof. I'm such a fan now. And then like to see how his leadership has clearly uh, done wonders for this young son's team. But I feel like uh, they also just play well as a team. They kind of have, again, a great balance, good depth, good role players. Um, But yeah, I don't know how they, I mean, I was just thinking this too. Like, yeah, if Aiton gets in foul trouble or Jokic is, it's crazy. Like he, I didn't, watch a ton of Denver this year and, and you start watching the playoffs and you see his numbers, but it's just like, man, you forget how good and like special he really is. He's like so skilled. So uh, it's so rare that you can, you know, obviously throw it in anytime you can get a a guy can get a bucket at will. I feel like, especially down the stretch, like some of those, like that Portland game that went to triple overtime. Like he's just so special in those moments, like watching, I know I'm getting sidetracked, but like he's a stud. And so I'm curious, like, do you think they end up, like if Aiton does go down, I'm assuming they're not going to call fr- Frank the tank off the bench. I, I would imagine they go like a Jake. Do you put a Jay Crowder on him? Like that's kind of the beauty of Jay Crowder to me is, I mean, he would kind of switch from LeBron to AD. You kind of he's like that utility, strong physical presence. But like, yeah, I'm, I'm curious what Ugh. what they do if if Ayton does get in foul trouble.
0: I, I mean, they might put Jay on him because that honestly, like you, that might be their best move. Like you might yeah. be right, Jokic will destroy him. He's just too yeah, small. Yeah. Like, like Jay's like 6'5", with like a 6'11 wingspan. Like, Jokic is yeah. just going to shoot over the top of him. And frankly, like, Jay is really strong. Jokic is stronger and will just, like, bury him on the block. So... Yeah.
1: I mean, that's what yeah. he was doing at Covington. And Covington's like 6'8", yeah. 6'9". Six, six, eight, eight. Six, yeah. yeah, like, so big like, guy. Um, yeah, I, I do think that Phoenix wins at... I feel like again to me the the depth and then obviously a star and in, in book who's playing at a, an incredibly high level but uh, to me like Phoenix's role players like these young guys like first of all campaign like those guys he, him alone who's like kind of revitalized his career and it's played like a major role off the bench for them has been pretty got, cool to watch. I got
0: nothing on that one.
1: <laughs> like, what do you mean? How, oh, how yeah. did how did that happen? <laughs> I, I don't know. Right? I'm like. I mean, there was times where, yeah, you, you needed – he was like on a 10-day radar. And now he – he did sign a 10-day actually, right? And they signed him for the rest of the year? Yeah, yeah. Uh, super cool. I love – and like he kind of plays with some swagger and some confidence and kind of clearly has a, a clear understanding of who he is now as a player. And he's uh, – <laughs> it's crazy seeing it, again, his uh, resurgence. Um, but then like you have the young wings. I love Mikhail Bridges. I love Cam Johnson. Like – two quality wing defenders and shot makers. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think Phoenix pulls this off. Uh, and yeah, I could five games like you, but,
0: uh, I mean,
1: I mean, sorry, Sam. All
0: right, Drake, do you have any other, uh, strong takes on this Phoenix series? I I feel like, I feel like once we get to the point where campaign is the third leading scorer on the Phoenix suns in the playoffs that, uh, that, uh, Um, that, that might be all we need. I mean, I, I love seeing Austin rivers blow it up a little bit for Denver. Uh, Michael Porter jr. Continues to be, you know, as awesome as what people thought he would be coming out for Denver as well. But it, it's just tough when you don't have the firepower in the backcourt. I feel like
1: totally agree. All
0: right. Let's see here. How do we, do you want to finish with like five minutes of draft stuff? I'll, I'll just ask you uh, who is, who's the guy that, in watching some tape this year who's the guy that's like stood out to you is like way underneath the radar
1: way underneath the radar um
0: they not even way underneath but just like the guy that you think is way better than where people have him
1: oh interesting um i was going to talk about josh giddy uh and i actually have him like as i've very quickly put together a board over the last couple weeks and just kind of been uh getting into this year's draft i feel like giddy to me is like a top i have him like at seven maybe six or seven in, mm-hmm. in this class I, I don't know where you, you have him actually pretty high too in your board i just saw you have him at like 10 or
0: 10 or 11 yeah something like that okay. so i'm pretty high
1: yeah i think he's a, a pretty special I mean, what are your thoughts on this draft actually like high level because i, I know we've talked about this in a couple past conversations but i feel like uh you know i've been hearing about this draft class for like the last two years and i think that like the interesting part is you had a lot of kids with like impressive high school resumes that came in and kind of underperformed at the college level. Um, and so I'm curious, like, do you, obviously to me, the top five, you have like a couple of studs that can potentially be like starter, all-star level caliber players. Um, but I, I did think that like, I thought that there would be a couple more studs than that. Um, do you think it's a deep draft? Do you think it's a strong draft?
0: a great question i think it's a great draft at the top i think those top four guys are just like very real i think it is a poor draft in that like six to 20 range and then from like maybe 25 to 50 i feel like there are some flyers that i really like like I, I really am kind of interested in like Bones Highland. I'm really interested in, um, Miles McBride. Like I, I think Miles McBride is like it. Like Deuce is a first round pick to me. Um, having really gone through his tape this weekend, particularly, I was like kind of blown away a little bit. Like I think I would take wow. him. I, I think I would take him over Sharif Cooper, to be honest, because I, wow. uh, you know, he played in that like just terrible West Virginia system for the first half of the year. And then you look in the second half of the year uh, when they played a little bit more spread out after Oscar were transferred and everything. I mean, he averaged like 16 and six assists a game and like was throwing some very real high level looks based off of what the defense was like giving him. So I, I, I was not anticipating seeing him as like a top twenty five guy, but that's kind of where I'm at with him now. I mean, where where are you at? Like, is there someone like that for you now? Where like you feel like, oh wow, they're like way um, people may not be thinking about them enough.
1: Um, you know, to be honest with you, my typically my wheelhouse is in that like thirty to one hundred range, and with my new job and uh, you know, can you hear me? Yeah. Oh shoot, sorry about that. It went completely black. I'm sorry about that, man. You're good. Okay. Um, gosh, what was I saying?
0: Yeah, just restart. I'll um I'll be able to edit this. This is easy.
1: Okay. Cool. Sorry about that. Um. Yeah. Typically, my wheelhouse is kind of in that thirty to one hundred range, like where I'm coming from, as far as like G League, you know, uh, executive. Um, and I love that area because, like, the two ways, the Exhibit Ten guys, those those are like my favorite uh, players to find. But to be honest with you, I, just with work and. Uh, I haven't had the time to really dig into like that back half, but I, sh- I off the top of my head, like I'm a big Derek Alston fan. I, I have been for the last years, as you know. And I'm a sucker for six nine guys that show any <laughs> type of ball skills and versatility, the Jaden McDaniels of the world. But um, yeah, I, I don't have an answer for you yet, but I will. Let's let's have another conversation here in the next couple of weeks, and I promise you, I will have uh, the answer for you. But guys, that like kind of like Austin Reeves is kind of interesting to me. Um, i don't know i'm kind of curious about this like and again i haven't done the intel or the as, as much research on some of these guys as i i need to uh before the draft but that like like you talked about six to twenty range or even six to thirty like some of these guys that you know the brandon bostons the josh christophers the Zaire williams like some of those guys that uh were initially supposed to be lottery guys i wonder if there's if that's where the value is in this draft if you think that if you're a believer that that like lack of success in their freshman year was temporary uh and you would bet on it long term or like the development eventually happening i, I don't know maybe, maybe that is the sweet spot of this year's draft but uh that's just some of the things i'm, I'm trying to think of now well i, <laughs> I, know I, I didn't think... answer your question but i apologize <laughs> but.
0: <laughs> well like with zaire was it you i was talking to i can't remember Yeah, you, know, you I think so I, where it was like you just kind of brought up like he's never been good
1: oh no that wasn't me but uh, okay, I we I was, talked about Zaire a little bit.
0: Yeah, I was talking to someone and they they brought up the fact like Zaire has just never been like great, you know, like he's never statistically in terms of production been as good as what you would think based off of his reputation, right? But what, when I when I go back and watch his tape, I'm I kind of love the way that even though it was not great this year and he was very inefficient and he struggled at times like I kind of thought this is like NBA level tape just in terms of the way he gets to step back the way that you can see like the contact balance is just off right now because he's not strong enough like as he gets stronger you can see how he's going to like really improve I think I would take Zaire like like Zaire like pretty close to the lottery for me like I, I get it that it's that, that's probably like a hot take given how like poor his season went. But I think I would still take him pretty close to the lottery at this point.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, again, it's, it's hard to find six, eight. I mean, to me, positional size is like one of the immediate things that translates. You have to have as I'm personally, as I evaluate these guys, like he has the frame. Yeah. But as you said, if he gets a little stronger, uh, you know, shot, Cleans up a little bit, and becomes a little more efficient as a shooter. I feel like you can't teach some of these qualities that he has. And, yeah. uh, we see guys like him uh, playing roles on, on on several rosters, and so yeah, I, I, I'm kind of with you. I think he's a little lower. Than, I can't,
0: I can't tell if like this year we're just getting smarter at evaluating, but like I feel like positional size is not a problem this year for guys. Like there aren't many. Undersized guys that like people are really excited about. Like Davion Mitchell is maybe a little bit undersized, but he's like six two with like a six seven wingspan or something like that, and like right, that's not right. a disaster for the point guard position. Like James Booknight is like six five with like a six ten wingspan. It's not a disaster. Uh, Garuba is undersized for sure. Um, beyond that, though, like you know, Jaden Springer is maybe a bit undersized for the wing position that he's gonna have to play. But like Trey Murphy is six foot nine. Um, Sharif is very small, too. Um, But Trey Murphy is six foot nine. Um, Kessler Edwards is six foot eight. Um, you know, uh, like Jalen Johnson is six foot nine and uh, Zaire six, eight and Corey Kispert six, seven and strong and yep. Franz Wagner six, nine. Six nine. And yeah, Giddy six, eight crystal Warte's six, six. Like these, these dudes just yeah. like have re- and Scotty Barnes is enormous. Like these dudes have real size for the position they're supposed to play. Is that like, confirmation bias where we're getting smarter so we're moving those guys up a little bit or what but uh, it, it feels like teams have gotten smarter with like positional size being important for the next level than what it has been in the past
1: yeah totally i mean to me it's like uh positional size uh feel for the game having some type of skill that translates Preferably shooting or playmaking, obviously in today's game. But yeah, those are kind of the, and then you have to have a baseline of athleticism. I think is uh, you know the the final one of the final pieces. But all those things, I feel like you're right. As we get, and that's kind of like the beauty as we talk about, like we go back and do our own redrafts. Is we, we've had conversations in the past couple of years of like, yeah, where did where did you hit? Where did you miss? Um, those are kind of always the fun conversations, and what eventually help like perfect our eye, I guess. So
0: yeah no totally like uh, i enjoy talking about my misses because like a it's fun to like make yourself look like a dumbass and then b um uh, like you don't learn otherwise like if you don't if you don't figure out hey how the hell did i have reed to go as like a second round pick like how did i fuck that up you know, you're not gonna learn you're not gonna figure it out right
1: no 100 percent. i feel like that's uh you have to have some accountability and be <laughs> be able to like live with that i mean i literally we drafted marvin bagley I mean and I at the end of the day like hindsight is 2020 but at the time like day of the draft I felt really good about Marvin as a prospect and I I guess the biggest takeaway from that draft for me was don't draft for a position draft by the best player available and uh listen like I still think Marvin's going to be a good player um he I, I, probably use a change of scenery but uh you know these are all things that you have to be willing to you know go back and evaluate and i've had a lot of successful hits on the same i mean it's all just a process and like uh you know really this is the fun part of scouting to me is like uh, hey i was right about this kid this is why this kid didn't work out or and drafts are comp- so much of drafts are situational uh as we've also talked about and so Uh, it's an art though. It's a beauty. It's what keeps us going every single year, right?
0: Yeah. Like it's like everyone tries to make it a bit of a science and it's, it's just not like every kid is so drastically different from the other, like the rest of them, like uh, trying to figure out, like it really is like every prospect is like an individual snowflake because like, you know, even if you just like think of it from the perspective of like, do you know like what a radar chart looks like? Like those charts where, like the spark charts, like with athletes in the NFL draft is like what I'm thinking of. Like you know they have like 95th percentile passing, and then like 94th percentile vision, and then 20th percentile shooting, and 99th percentile ball handling, and zero percentile defense. And I just like described like Sharif Cooper, right? But (laughs) like then you've got like another player who has you know x number of skills uh that plays the same role plays it plays a different position and like you know you can kind of think of it that way like it's it's really um r- really challenging like i love the draft like i was talking to um I don't know, will i say the coach's name um i like i no i won't say the coach's name is conversation well no i will cuz it's actually not that bad like um you know, Mark Few. I was having a conversation with Mark Few one time, and Mark Few asked me like, like why why do you do what you do? Like, what? Um, like, I you know, not many people in the media like do like draft evaluation. Like, there are like five of us, right? Um, that are like any good at it. And Mark was just like, like why do you why do you do this? Like, why do you like play like the stock market game of evaluating prospects? And I was just like, you know, like it's it's not a game to me. Like, I, I really. But I really do enjoy trying to navigate and evaluate each player, and trying to uh, trying to figure out like what their career is going to look like. I, I understand that it's not an exact science. I understand that like you know it, it's not traditional reporting or whatever, right? But it's. Uh, it is fun to me. It uh, I really enjoy the process of trying to get better at this. Like I feel like at a certain point, like you can get better at writing, like you can keep you can perfect the craft. Like uh, you're never going to perfect the craft at writing, but to me like this is much more fun and complicated and like yeah, you know, I'm sure that there are journalists out there that are like, you know, fuck you, you don't get it. But like <sighs> Like, I feel like this, doing this is more interesting to me and more fun. And um, there are more pieces to it than just, like, writing stories. You know what I mean? And reporting. Yeah, it's
1: like, yeah, and it's all opinion-based. And so no one's right, no one's wrong. Uh, Some players end up being better than others, obviously. But, uh, yeah, I I completely agree with you. I I feel like, uh, and ultimately, I think we're both just basketball junkies. And so, like... Having the ability to have these conversations, break players down, try and project them at the next level, try and project them relative to like a team's needs, uh, is like super fun to me. That was like the again, like I never felt like I was working a day in my life working for the Kings because like you're doing what you love, and uh, I mean I'm still I have a medical device sales job in the morning that I have in the OR at seven o'clock in the morning, and like (laughs) I'll sometimes have these like 13 hour days where it's like a complex spine surgery and like the first thing i want to do is come home and like oh what did uh i gotta go watch this evan mobley game or like oh shoot i gotta catch the, the kings are playing at seven it's like right mine just it, this is like a it's therapeutic for me and uh it's just a way that like it's just where my my heart and my passion is as it is with you and you do a great job of this obviously and so it's cool talking to another junkie himself and uh, being able to break these guys down
0: yeah it's great it's super fun we'll do this again drake tell the people uh tell the people where they can follow you on uh your variety of social media platforms
1: (laughs) well uh you can find me on twitter i'm at drizzy underscore uu 22 um i also am on instagram at drizzy drake 22 and uh i feel like i'm as i'm so i'm also expecting a baby i know i I think i mentioned this to you before in september so i'm now going to be the uh I don't know if I'll be a, a super interesting Instagram follow, but I'll be on there probably post. I'll be that dad posting, you know, <laughs> random pics of his son, you know, new shoes for the boy. Uh, but yeah, those are the two places that you can find me. I'll, I'll occasionally uh, throw some random draft related tweets or stuff I'm doing with pro insight on the side. I'll kind of retweet and, and do stuff like that. So it's a fun way for me to kind of stay involved and, up to date in the hoops world
0: what what are the first basketball shoes that you're going to get your child oh my
1: gosh that's a great question um my goodness i feel like it's got to be a pair of kobe's i feel like i mean a pair of kobe's uh, okay a pair of kobe's i think is what one of my buddies blessed me with like some uh <laughs> some jays i'm not like a huge shoe head but uh i think they're the jordan ones <laughs> seeing mm. these things they're like Four inches long. <laughs> it's so funny to me. I'm you know, like, I didn't even know these they, that Nike or Jordan made shoes for toddlers like this. But I'm getting a kick out of that. But yeah, I think that as far as the basketball shoe, he's going to come out. He's going to have a basketball in his hand, and we'll, we'll get straight to the gym as soon as uh, Caitlin pops him out in, in September. So
0: as soon as, well, let, let's say, I don't know, six months. You know, maybe maybe a year, um, uh, a year old. He can dribble a basketball <laughs> a year, right?
1: Yep. <laughs> Oh yeah.
0: (laughs) You can tell that I definitely have kids let me tell you there's no circumstance (laughs) where I have
1: kids like a year a year sounds like the time that they can start shooting and (laughs) doing left handed layups
0: yeah you know like a year like get them one of them small baskets right like it'll be fun (laughs) exactly yep
1: exactly
0: All right. this has been the Game Theory Podcast please remember rate, review, subscribe do anything you can to support the show we'll be back uh, later this week uh, NBA Combine invites are going out literally as we speak I know that some have gone out um, over the weekend for sure and I think that they're I mean you know this as well as I do there's a second batch that typically goes out right Drake? Uh, yep. Yeah so I think that they're probably uh, doing first batch now and the second batch um, will go out later this week and we'll um, you know be able to talk about uh, all that stuff in the NBA draft with Matt Penny later on and I'm sure I'll do more playoff stuff but until next time we will talk soon bye